we're going to be based out of 1 Peter chapter 5. If you go ahead and turn there. Um, Josh asked me to uh, speak a few few weeks ago, and the first topic that came up as I was praying was this um, idea of anxiety. And I don't, I don't know where you sit on it, um, even if you're not in a state of anxiousness right now, you probably know somebody that is. Um, and so what we want to do is I want to go through this text. I want to look at a couple ways that you could focus wrongly on this text, right? Because I think that that can happen fairly easily. I want to de- define um, what in the world am I talking about um, in humility and anxiety, and then go through anxiety, and then um, the outworking of humility. So as we get going, First uh, Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I mean, let that aspect rest on you right now. Some of you sitting here have the most deep-seated sense of self-hatred that words can't even explain. And he says, I care for you. Like some of you came in here so bound up, and he says, I care for you. So here's a couple ways that we can focus wrongly on this passage that we just read. One is to mainly seek your own exaltation. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I've read this passage so many times, and I'm like, all right, God, here's the deal. I need to get to this humility aspect. That way you can just, like, exalt me. You know, I need, obviously, that's kind of button heads right there. Um, But that was how I read it so often, was just this idea of, all right, um, Lord, let's work on humility today. Let's work on humility this week. And then uh, you you just go ahead and go ahead and lift me up, right? Um, That's not, not the focus here. It's a secondary effect, but it's not the focus. Number two. Trying to directly tackle this idea of how you could become more humble. Right? Humility is an elusive deal because it's not one of those things that you go, all right, I'm going to be humble today. All right? I'm going to walk in that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pursue it. I'm going to get it going on. And, 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 I mean, people are going to notice my humility. I mean, I'm going to feel so good about myself about that and, and, and stuff. And then, and, and then I could tell people my four-step process here about how humble I am. Uh, you miss the point. So, what is humility? C.J. Mahaney defines humility this way, and I believe he's dead on. Humility is properly seeing ourselves in the face of the holiness of God. Properly seeing ourselves in the face of the holiness of God. You see, true humility has no room to make much of yourself or to say, I am nothing. It has no room for it. So my prayer is that if you walk out of here and you're going, 
Man, um, all right, humility is this, this business of me just kind of going, I'm nothing, I'm a pile of trash, woohoo, it's Christianity, let's go conquer, da, 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 let's do this business. You're like, that's not what I'm talking about here. Because I don't believe that's what God's talking about. So humility is properly seeing ourselves in the face of the holiness of God. And then this idea of anxiety. Here's how I'm going to define it, here's how I'm going to use it. Anxiety is... Fear and apprehension about the future that steals peace and the ability to be fully present. Anxiety is fear and apprehension about the future that steals presently, right now. It steals peace and this ability to live fully present. So let's talk about anxiety. I want to be really clear here that some of your anxiety that you're experiencing is attached to real wounds that you have. Real, real wounds. I'll use my example. And I get that anxiousness can come up in a mess load of different ways. I, I get it. And some of you are like, bro, I was born anxious. You know, I mean, I just kind of barreled my way out of there and stuff. And I just haven't stopped right now. You know, I've just been constantly anxious. Um, uh, you got help. You need some help. No, no, no. And so do I. So do I. Um, uh, but, um, but, but, but that there's some real wounds that folks have in this, in anxiousness. And so anxiety isn't just this deal that we just kind of go throw out. It's a multi-layered deal. So I'll use my example of abuse. Growing up, grew up in an incredibly abusive home where um, my parents beat each other, and then my sister and I. Uh, the, the only kind of way that I can explain it is that I walk in the door, and it kind of feels like you're walking on eggshells all the time because you're, you, you, something's coming flying at you, whether it's a fist or something else, and you're just sitting here going, Ugh, what's going on? And so that bred a mess load of this anxiety in me, a mess load of it. It bred a lot of perfectionism in there. But here's the deal. It's not bad. I want you to see this. When we're dealing with anxiety, it's not bad for alarms to go off in you or, 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 or this type of um, this agitation in your spirit if there's this past sin that someone's committed against you if you're reminded of it. Does that make sense? If somehow you're reminded of it. But it is a sin to be controlled by that apprehension. Okay, here, here would be my example. Again, I've struggled with um, perfectionism all my life. Always wanted to, to make sure everything was right, everything was, was good to go. In fact, in, in our marriage, Amber would, would tell you about this. Um, if, if there's a whole lot of stress, for some reason, I, I'm just like... Um, how about we clean the house, get the house clean, get all this stuff clean, get all, all this stuff in order, all, all, all these things. Or maybe I'll just study a little bit more. Maybe I'll start writing, things like that. It's this control type of deal. Um, but, but, but whenever this anxiety comes in like that, here's what I was trying to pursue in that control. And this may be some of you here. In wanting control, my main goal was I just don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be humiliated. 
Whatever you do, do not humiliate me. Don't let me know that I'm a failure in some way because it's just so humiliating. And I'll do anything to make sure I'm not humiliated. And so I never dealt with that a whole lot until I got into our marriage. And so this anxiety, this apprehension, this fear about the future was definitely stealing present peace and the ability to be fully there. But the answer to this isn't, all right, Vernon, just get over it. You know, but be done with it. Stop being a putz. You see, because there is this, when you have this sin against you, when, for instance, with our abuses, here's what I've learned with that is that now that I'm not controlled by these past abuses, I have a deeper-seated hatred towards abuse. And I'll use that word hatred. Why? Because I believe that God hates it. He's not trying to make peace with abuse. He hates it. It's just that it doesn't control me anymore. Uh, Paul Tripp put it this way. Many times people react sinfully to being sinned against. You ever been there where you're like, man, well, that dude was just an idiot. He deserved it, you know? And so you like waylaid him or something like that. And and you just went off. You just went off on him. But Tripp says this idea. Many times people react sinfully to being sinned against. And I found that so many times that's how anxiety comes in constantly. But here's a great hope, and I, see, I, I hope that you see this great picture about your wounds. Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, right? We get to John 20, the passage about um, Thomas, who was doubting at the time. And what does is, what is Jesus tell Thomas? Touch, touch my, my scar, right? Isn't it, isn't it pretty wild that Jesus' new earth body still carried the scar? Still carried it. He wasn't ashamed of it. There's healing there. It's like I'm healed. You can touch this. I'm not going to act like it's not there. In fact, all of your doubts, look at this. I'm a healer. And it's in that same way that so many times, so many of you have such anxiety because you're trying to manage things externally, put on this front, make sure everything's good to go. Or maybe your front is this idea of perpetually revisiting all of this stuff and thinking that you can never have victory over it. And the Lord's saying, no, I'm a healer. I'm not scared of the scar because I will sit there and I will heal it. Your wound is not a perpetual wound. It can be a scar. There's great hope in that. You see the anxiety is coming out in that. But did you see the focus wasn't just get rid of the scar? Or get rid of the wound? That wasn't the focus. It's so much more. Jesus is not sitting there on the right hand of the Father and when he comes here and, and, and makes all things new. He isn't going to make your, the totality of um, existence on the new earth be like, check out the scar, guys. 
Take out the scar. No, they're just giving me too many other things to enjoy with him. That'll be part of it, but it's a smaller part. That's what's going to catapult us into fully enjoying the eternal presence of God. Another part of anxiety that I hope that you see, and I hope you take this um, in a very kind way, but the root of all adverse anxiety is pride. It is. But don't take that this way. Don't take it in this way of going, all right, man, I just got to get over it. Now, everybody else has been through worse things in life. That's not the point there. What I mean by pride is sitting here and trying to manage your own wounds in such a way that you believe you need to be your own healer. Let God come in and heal. He wants to take that pride. He wants to take that weight of you thinking that you need to heal yourself off of you. And so this is why one of the ways of humility is to throw this false reality of of anxiety onto the one who truly cares for you. That's what he's saying here. One of the ways to humble yourselves is to cast, to throw your anxieties on the Lord. And maybe for some of you tonight, it's going to have to be this idea of going, dog, I I don't even have the ability to throw. I'm just crushed. So, So, daddy, you need to come and lift this off of me can't even lift it. Number three, the temptation of anxiety. I want you to see this. I want you to see the hope of this. Always has a way out. Always. In fact, every single temptation is also an invitation to worship, to know God more. Every single one. It's Every time you get tempted, tempting you can always go okay god he the, the enemy's tempting me now you, you you promise me that you've cast him out you've you have all power over him now that also has to be this invitation to knowing your victory over this what is it then what is it god so first corinthians if you if you make a hard left um first corinthians 10 13 um talks about this No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. But the next one, God is faithful. He's not even asking you to conjure up faithfulness. He says, know his faithfulness. Know God's faithfulness. And he'll just impute faithfulness to you. Know his faithfulness. Yes, God has faith. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, which is a stunning reality, right? Because have you ever been in that moment where you feel like you're being crushed by everything in your life, and you're like, no, I cannot, there is no way out of this, and somehow he's sitting here saying, you're not being tempted beyond what you can bear. And you're going, no, I am because I'm being crushed. And he's saying, no, now identify yourself with the one who was crushed for your iniquities. Yes, of course, the enemy is stronger than you. But this is the same Jesus that saw right there the first fall, which the first fall, of course, even happened before creation. If 
first of all, is, is Satan, right? That's Luke chapter 10. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Saw it happen. I saw him fall like lightning. And I know that we're stronger than him. But here's the deal. I also know that he's stronger than you. So just rely on me. But I saw him fall. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Real quickly, I want to touch on anxiety um, and prescription meds, this idea of, uh, of using prescription meds to, um, to ha- help with anxiety. I'm not a dude that's 100% against meds. I want to be out there like with that, you know. Um, I will say this, though. I believe that society is massively, massively over-medicated, number one. But even if you take that out of the way, um, Here's, here's how you can tell if your meds are being used to a good means, okay? So if you're sitting in here taking meds for, for anxiety, don't sit here thinking that I'm just saying, well, you just don't have enough faith in God. I don't believe that that's the case. Um, but but if, if your meds are the means to where your mind can actually calm a bit and you can focus a bit on the Lord, awesome. But if your meds, you sit here and you go, I just can't live without them. I have to have them. If you eat, maybe even you're the type that gives your quote-unquote victory of a good day over to the power of your medication, predominantly. I've, I've, and if that's you, um, I've had a mother, or I have a mother that um, has, has done that all my life. She's a script addict. She takes 22 different prescriptions a day. I've seen the destruction. I've seen everything center around this life of victory equates to only not having anxiety today. Victory only equates to not being depressed today. Victory only equates to not killing myself today. And I want to tell you, it's just so much more. Victory is so much more. Why? Because God isn't just sin-centric and problem-centric. He gets those out of the way so that we can truly, eternally enjoy Him. This is the huge idea. This is a, a, a huge reality. Because here's, the, here's what I've had to come to in my own um, walk with the Lord, because I've had, my, uh, I've had a lifelong struggle with um, depression, which I get is, is different than anxiety, but I've had this lifelong struggle with depression. and um, and for so long in my life, I sat here going, um, as long as I don't feel depressed today, then I'm all right. Well, a, a pagan can do that. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus can do that. So it's this idea, this sin-centric reality that I think that so many people in Christianity focus on. Here, I'll give you um, a word picture of what I think it looks like. If you kind of echo back into, into the garden, and you've got the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, and um, a sin-centric reality um, of life would have us kind of like fixate on this tree, right? And maybe able to just look at Jake and be like, bro, I didn't eat the fruit today. 
How good is that? And I look at my wife. Say, hey, babe, um, I didn't, I didn't eat of the fruit today. Let's talk about a deeper meaning of that. Then I go to Josh, and I was like, "Bro, I just got done talking about a deeper meaning of not eating this fruit, and and, and let's look at that again. Isn't this awesome? You see how woefully inadequate that would be in the greatness of this garden." The whole time God's telling them, make a beeline and enjoy the garden. Know me in the garden and experience the totality of richness in the garden. In the process of that, you're going to turn your back on the tree. And it's the same way with anxiety. But here's the deal. And this is what I had to come to a conclusion of in depression. Even if I'm haunted, use that word very specifically, haunted by depression for the rest of my life and depressive episodes, one day it's going to break. I could live to be 85 or 90 years, year, 90 years old And then I see him face to face and it's broken. It's going to break. No matter what the the inward disposition of who I am says that I am. I know it's going to break. And so I live prophetically. So why would he sit here and say, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you? And he gives us this reality of humbling yourselves is this, is this casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, like I said earlier, humility is elusive from the sense that it can't be pursued directly, yet it's required to enter the kingdom. Does God like just toying with us here? Is he just toying? I don't think he is, but if you've ever been in that, in that state of just going, all right, bro, is he just like messing with me here? I've been there with you, unfortunately. But I think that humility is designed this way for four ways or four reasons why. Number one, so that we don't err on the side of believing that, quote unquote, deprecating ourselves is the ultimate sign of godliness. You see, because in, in humility, again, a lot of people go in this mentality of as long as I gravel in the dirt long enough, then God is somehow that's going to um, activate him to lift me up out of the dirt, right? And then I'll feel better about myself. I'll feel better about God. But that was activated by my ability to gravel around on the dirt. And so he's saying, no, 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 I'm not going to, humility, you're not going to approach it directly because I know that your sinful hearts, and if you focus on it directly, humility directly, you'll kill yourself all the time. There's a kindness there. Number two, it's not, humility isn't approached directly so that we do not make humility mainly about ourselves. Number three, that we actually see that the words, quote unquote, it's not mainly about you, aren't taken the wrong way. You see, because you got some people in Christianity, they walk around 
And they think the totality of Christianity is just going, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. God's everything. I'm nothing. Just use me. This makes no sense, not only in the kingdom, but just simply logically. It doesn't make any sense. If you're made in the image of God, but you say I'm nothing, and God's everything, no matter what, God still has to be nothing. I'm made in his image. I'm saying I'm nothing. I have his image in me. I can't sit here and say that he's anything if I'm nothing. It doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't the point. Number four. I think that humility is designed this way in the sense of not being able to pursue it directly because any type of exalting from God, because that's what he tells you, he promises you that he will exalt you. Again, it just may not happen this side of heaven, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's a mist. Any type of exalting from God is taken as a gift, not an entitlement. You see, because in anxiety, that's one of the, the main things. Okay, God, you're all powerful. You're all great. You say that you're in me. Are you just taunting me here? You would better relieve me of this anxiety right now, God, if you're any good. And we do that. We give God ultimatums. And an ultimatum doesn't make sense, especially in line of 1 Corinthians 10.13. Doesn't make sense because he's sitting here saying, I'm still giving you a way out. Are you giving me an ultimatum? I'm giving you a way out. You may not always physically feel that, but I'm giving you a way out. I mean, I, I'm weaving in this kingdom anthem of redemption through your life. I'm giving you a way out. Have eyes to see. I'm giving you a way out. So what's the voice of humility? We talked about the focus of humility not being able to be directly um, approached. So the voice of humility, number one, is not mainly concerned with self, but hearing and carrying out the voice of God. So really, humility in this idea uh, of humbling yourselves underneath the mighty hand of God, of coming to the end of yourself, is all for the point of fullness in God. It's fullness in God. That's what he's telling us. Here's how I'm going to show you. Humility is a truly full life. He's saying, be filled with me. And you can be filled with me whenever you're not mainly concerned about you getting your own way. But being filled with me, and here's the deal. Whenever your heart makes that transition, then delight yourselves in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll do it. Number two, the voice of humility. Humility, I pray that you see this paradox. Humility is synonymous with true confidence, not timidity. Humility is synonymous with true confidence, not timidity. You see, because some people think they're being humble and they, 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 they cower back. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says the complete opposite of that. He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
So humility sits here and says, God, fill me with who you are and teach me how to live out your fullness. That's what humility says. That's what it looks like. So that I can confidently walk in that. And again, confidence isn't this bowing out your chest. It's really a submitting back to who you already are in Christ. That's what humility is. So, how do we overcome anxiety with kingdom humility? Go left in your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 6. I want to give you some ways, um, some practical ways of going, okay, bro, like, you, number one, you yell too much, so please hurry up and get done with this business. Um, but uh, number two, you haven't even given me anything that I can do now. Uh, all right, and so um, hopefully this, this will help you out as some markers here. Um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, not about, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, let me stop right here, because a lot of times folks are going to sit here and, and like this guilt trip's going to come on on them and stuff, and they're going to be like, yeah, well, I don't see that, number one, um, because I don't feel that. And, and, and number two, they're, they're going to take this whole passage and be like, good, I'm just better than birds. What the world does that mean? How's there any kind of comfort in being better than a bird? And it's not even the focus. Because if we'd have this kingdom reality that God is coming to redeem all of creation, which he is, we're going to sit here and go, man, I need to get outside more and look and just be stunned by a bird and go, he cares for him and his care for him, for these birds, his care for me even supersedes that. And he goes on. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Notice now he comes right back. Why are you anxious about clothing? He's going straight back to nature. He's saying, get out, look at this, see it. No, don't just like type in www.nationalgeographic.com and just watch it right there. That's cool and all. And he's like, get out there. Obviously, he didn't say that in first century context. But he's saying, get out there. Look. So you have an issue with feeling that God's going to provide for your clothing? And it's a real issue here. He's not being trite. He's not. He's saying these are real things. They are real concerns that real people have. Now, consider the lilies. Lord, I just said I can't, can't pay my next bill. And you're saying to look at a lily? What in the world is this? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But... If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's how you do all that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So number one, I believe humility is holistic. And so I, wanna, I, I really want to hit in on this holistic life of humility. Because some of you are struggling with anxiety that is out of this world. And one of the biggest reasons is because you're not out there exercising enough. And you may be like, bro, you better get off my back. You know, it's a, but, but, but it's a, it's a dead truth. If, there, if, there's gonna, if God is going to redeem your body and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, there needs to be some, some attention that's paid here. So the physical things, exercise, your diet, getting out and doing this, looking at the lilies of the field. Do y'all, do y'all even have lilies down here in Louisiana? Sweet deal. Good. So you could actually do that. But it's like in this outdoorsman's paradise is what it's called. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So get outside and actually see this reality of how God provides here, but also that he's redeeming all of this stuff redeeming this. He wants you to be out there so you can look at that so he can encourage you. He wants you to be encouraged from it. So that you don't have anxiousness about the future. So that you're not paralyzed by these things. Number two, you're struggling with anxiety. Preach to your soul. Preach to your soul. Psalm 42. David says at the end of Psalm 42, soul, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. So he's sitting here, if you can imagine it, he's sitting here having just this incredibly anxious time in who he is, but he doesn't just sit there and go and give God an ultimatum, right? He looks at his soul, if you will, and says, soul, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. Hope in you, 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 you need to talk back to your soul. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that uh, he was a um, UK pastor, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, he says that most of our anxieties and most, or most of our fears come from the fact that we listen to ourselves more than talk to ourselves. What it is. The enemy starts talking and, say, and he says these things and it's like we immediately take them into our being. We don't talk back. And the whole time the Lord's saying, one that's talking to you like that, I saw him fall like lightning. Come here. Here's how it happened. That, 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 that one that you've chosen to submit yourself to, come here. I've got a wounded Savior who's not scared of that wound that you helped to put in him. And he's been victorious over it. Now come. Come. Number three. Make the reality that God cares for you be your focus. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Think of this. God cares for you more than you could ever care for yourself at your most self-centered state. To the infinite degree. 
I also get that some of you in here, like your biggest anxieties come with um, maybe God's abandoned me. What about this next job? What about this next thing? What about all this other stuff? And it's because I had this projection of my life that it was going to look like this way. Or some of you, some of you in, uh, in high school are like, bro, we're in high school. We haven't had that projection yet. So anyways, here we go. Uh, so so, so the, the, you, you have this focus that you want to do this deal out here. And some of you have already ate the fruit of disappointment of not being able to do that for a various amount of reasons. And some of you are controlled just by going, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. If I don't do this, what's going to happen? just read a great book on brokenness by Gene Edwards called The Three Kings that one of my buddies recommended to me. And here's where I got this idea. I want you to ask yourself this question. What if God is done with you according to how you've always defined, quote-unquote, being used by God? What if God is done with you? What if that thing is never going to happen? But he says he cares for you. Like what's going to immediately pop up is if, if when I said that, immediate things were God can't be good or else he'd let that happen. The enemy's trying to attack you with an idol. The Lord's sitting here saying, I care about you so much. So much that I want you to let me define what you should do. Why? Because I made you with unique desires. And I want to fulfill those desires. Number two is uh, this reality of God caring for you. Think about it this way. What if you would be continually, quote-unquote, used according to how you've always defined it. So you got your perfect job, you did your perfect deal, all this stuff. Here's the full confession. I wasn't even going to do this one, um, but here we go. Um, is I, always ha- I had this deal after the Lord saved me when I was 19. I had to be a lead pastor by age 30. Had to. I knew I had to get the projection right there. There we go, lock loaded, boom, that's what, that's what we're going to do. Everything else had to align with that, being this lead pastor at age 30. Got stressed out in the whole process. And the Lord didn't let that happen and for about two weeks. I'm just sitting here like, man, you're just a bonehead. Like, what in the world happened? And the whole time now, the Lord's given me, I'm 31 now, um, so... Um, over this last year, the Lord's given me this incredible amount of peace of just saying, don't worry about your stinking titles. Just go, pastor, be around people. Let people teach you. Humble yourself under my hand. I got you, buddy. I got you. Now let me speak to you. I was so busy telling God what I was going to do with my life that I was like, Bro, I, I don't care if you, honestly, I don't care if you say you're sovereign. You need to be sovereign according to how I say you're going to be sovereign. That's really how it came out if you want to bottom line that business. So, what if you'd continually be, be used according to how you've always defined it, yet in the end you're confronted with the words of Matthew chapter 7? 
Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You never knew me. Go read, go read Matthew 7 towards the end. People that cast out demons. People that did powerful works. All in the name of Jesus. And he says, you never knew me. You never knew it. That's the relational no that he's talking about. That's why I absolutely love your church so much. Because you guys get the relational no. I mean, John says, Jesus says in John, this is eternal life, that they know me. Somehow, that cataclysmic relational reality will be expressed for all of eternity in an infinite amount of creativity that will bring you joy as you press into God. All from knowing him. Why? If you want to bottom line that, because he is that smart and he is that good. That's how. Number four, how do um, we live out this um, humble kingdom reality? Realizing this, in the midst of your anxiety, you are not alone. You see, there's Here's the true reality. At the bare minimum, you always have five with you. Always. There's always a company of five. Always remember that. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You have at least one angel ministering to you. That's Hebrews chapter 1. You have at least one angel ministering to you. You've got yourself. Notice this, though. That doesn't even include the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. So at a bare minimum, you have five. You're not alone. And, and, and even go on, if you, if you go back to 1 Peter, read this, um, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that, here it is, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Your situation is not that unique, and I do not, please, please don't take that in some trite way again. There should be this comfort in knowing that other people have been through that situation. And in that, this 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 reality, that, that he wants to bring you comfort in the midst of your affliction so that you're able to comfort others. He's in the job of redemption. Number five, the action of God on your behalf. Here, stay in this text, uh, verse 10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, his eternal glory in Christ, get this, here's a promise. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Guaranteed. He'll do it. So my prayer is that you see this final part, which is in a truly humble-filled kingdom reality, is that the ultimate death blow, the ultimate death blow to all anxiety is to cultivate 
a spirit of gratitude. Cultivate a spirit of gratitude. You're like, bro, how in the world does that happen? There's not many people that after over an hour straight of writing down every single thing that you're grateful for, can still sit there and be like, God, screw you. I mean, because that's really what it's saying, right? Can't do it. So he's saying, cultivate this reality of gratitude. But here's the deal about gratitude. You can be thankful for these things that have already happened and the things that are guaranteed to happen, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that, that, that's how you cultivate this gratitude. And so anxiety says, fear the future, be freaked out. Hey, by the way, God's given up on you. He's not going to do anything to help you out. You're on your own. You better figure this out. And gratitude says, he's provided everything I need for life and godliness. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. And so I've found most of the time that the greatest root of anxiety is the spirit of complaining. That's what I've found. You know, I found that. I found it in myself. It's all bottom line here on me. And I heard one guy say one time, or or, um, complaining does not grow easily in the soil of gratitude. Complaining does not grow easily in the soil of gratitude. You have a lot to be thankful for. His perfect, he cares for you. Let me pray. Papa, I come to you tonight and I beg of you. I, just, I beg of you that you would somehow supernaturally break chains of anxiety off of people tonight. That you would... Um, not even just only break chains, but that you, Holy Spirit, would come in and fill and heal and replace this anxiety with an anthem of gratitude. God, you're a God that can do this, that by you and to you and through you are all things. So I pray for that tonight. In Jesus, it's by your powerful, powerful name I pray. Amen.